in this week's episode, it's less bleh and more bleh in an excellent vampire book that does everything differently, which is exactly why we like it. It's all happening now on Cover B. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Cover B. Welcome back to Cover B, the podcast where we try our hardest not to go off on tangents and often fail. How's everyone doing? <laughs> we are we are perpetual tangentsers. That's true. <laughs> There's a lot of rant in our hearts. It's true. And honest to God, we made a podcast probably subconsciously to be able to iterate those rants <laughs> to the general populace. It is true. But I hope everybody's doing well. I feel like crap. It's raining. It's been raining for like two, two days. Two days. There's so much it's supposed rain. supposed to rain all day tomorrow, too. It's gross. It's a very sleepy, icky, drippy day. It is all those things. <laughs> but we're going to talk about comics. Yeah, comics. Which are not sleepy and icky. They're awakey and... Elevatey? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Why not? Anyway, the first one is from AWA. This is Hit Me, number one. Uh, it was written by Krista Faust with art by Priscilla Petratus. Uh, probably messed up that last name, so I'm sorry. Uh, this features a woman whose career is getting beat up, both in a sexual and a non-sexual way. She is basically a professional masochist. She takes money from people and lets them spank and hit and punch and tackle and pile drive and suplex and Frankensteiner and all the other <laughs> sort of physical whoopings you can think of. She'll allow it for the right price. As she's going off to meet one of her higher paying clients, she gets embroiled in a tangled web of criminality and criminosis <laughs> crime <laughs> criminals <laughs> and such potential scandal <laughs> scandal <laughs> damn it you know it's bad when he makes me snort yeah <laughs> Yeah, true. <laughs> so, T, what were your thoughts? I really enjoyed this one. I think what's so interesting about a book like this is that we don't get a lot of well-made literature or stories or, mm -hmm. you know, TV, <clears throat> stuff like that. We don't get a lot of fiction that is centered around sadomasochism in a healthy, safe, respectful way. Um, you know, the one that everybody thinks of when they think of like S&M is Fifty Shades. And if you talk to a lot of people in, you know, that are actually a part of the S&M community, Fifty Shades is a horrible, horrible representation of what it means to be in that type of relationship. Yes. They do a lot of things wrong. <clears throat> um, it was, it was clearly S&M written by someone who has no idea what S&M is all about. Yeah. This is really interesting to me because... It's centered around, you know, she consents and she consents to this and she consents to that. And you pay her based on what she consents upon. Mm -hmm. And that's how it is. And 
while obviously there's a whole other side of S&M that's, you know, unpaid and consensual between two people and that sort of thing, this is a one side of it, and it's done in a very respectful way. Like, she's effectively a sex worker, and she, you know has an interesting lifestyle that maybe not a lot of people understand or some would even respect, but the way that it's depicted is healthy and responsible. Yeah. And I think that's really nice. Exactly. It's, it's, you know, if you heard the premise of, Hey, this is a crime noirish book about a woman who is a sex worker, whose profession is getting beat on. You'd think like, Oh, this is going to be, like mm, this, is, this is gonna be scandalous, but it's it's a very responsible. It's very responsible in its handing handling of both sexuality and sex work. Yeah, absolutely. It's very responsible in it. She has, you know, her own limitations, and she's very aware of her sexuality, but very in control of it. Yep. You know, she does use it as a weapon at times and use it manipulatively at times, but. She's never like, and at no point is she unaware of where her sexuality stands, of like where her sexuality is. She right. she wears it on her sleeve, and she wields it as a knife. Like she's very aware, and it's a very responsible take of somebody being a female character, specifically being, you know, driven and identified in this sexual way. Yeah, you know, uh, it's a it's cool. It's it's. And it's kind of ironic in that, in kind of a meta sense, how it's like, you know, a book about a woman getting caught up with these scandalous individuals, lecherous individuals, and getting beat on, but it's really responsible. Yeah, because it's not... The book, what I think is cool is that, like, the book is about her being this, like, masochist worker, but it's not, like... That's just sort of a happenstance and puts her in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm -hmm. Like it, you know, in a lot of scenarios, when you have fiction that would be centered around this type of thing, it would be like she was being, you know, she was doing a service and then it went wrong and she got in hurt because they took it too far and she had to fight back or something like that. But that that's not what happens. It has nothing to do technically with her. She's just there in the wrong place in the wrong time because mm-hmm. that's what her job is. It has nothing to do with her. And I, I actually really like that because I think that kind of helps support the, you know, sex work doesn't have to be this like, ooh, it always leads to bad th- It's not, <laughs> sex work isn't a gateway drug to criminality. Yeah, And, <laughs> and I know, like that. The one instance in the book that we get of somebody trying to go beyond what she's consented to, he's ridiculed for it. He's treated like a absolute tool absolutely it, you know? it's it's not the story isn't driven by this you know she's in and that's another thing too is like because of that she's in control of the story yeah like usually when we get stories about sex workers it often leads to you know stories about sexual assault yeah and that takes the story away from the character it makes the story about what happened to the character instead of what the character is doing in the narrative Mm -hmm. and so here we have you know a sex worker who very much her whole thing is being submissive and allowing things to happen to her but she's very much in control of the story she the narrative is about what happens to her next and like what she chooses to do next as opposed to a reflection 
or a reaction to what had happened to her. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and that's interesting. You don't, you just don't see that a lot. A lot of stories that focus on, you know, sex workers, strippers, prostitutes, whatever it might be, tend to fall into that category of just circumventing around some sort of like major trauma. Yeah. Which is understandable, you know right. what I mean? But it's also not the only story not to tell. Not the only story possible for these sorts of individuals and it you know again in talking about it being respectful and responsible that paints a much more respectful picture of sex workers yeah like you said it's not all you know tragedy and trauma yeah like you know there are people choosing to do these things not not everyone in this profession while there are plenty that feel forced or feel manipulated or have been trafficked or have been trafficked not everybody is that way. There are people that choose to get into sex work and yep. they deserve respect for making that choice. Yep. Uh, and this one handles that well. I agree. You know, and it's cool. Uh, next up is a book from Image. And just bear with me because it's, it's, it's going to shock you. <laughs> just take a take a breath. Okay. This is from Image. It's called Little Monsters, number one. It's written by Jeff Lemire with art by Dustin Wynn. And it's about vampires. <gasps> yes. <gasps> Coverby is talking about a vampire book. <gasps> I know. Uh, <laughs> we are introduced to a series of children in what appears to be a mostly dead world. Uh, they are going about just doing things children do, talking to each other about, like, do you want to play this? Do you want to play that? They seem to be of various different ages, so they're acting in different ways. Some of them are more energetic and more about play and activity. The older ones seem to be kind of stuck in their teenage ennui. And they're all vampires. And then at the end of the book, something happens that seems to be it's going to shake up their worldview. <laughs> T, where'd you land on this one? Okay. So you guys know that I don't really read, you know, the information about the books ahead of time. Mm -hmm. I like to go into books blind. I like to be handed a new book from Chris and told, hey, read this for the podcast. And then I do so. Yeah. The reason why this book is great and probably part of the reason why we're talking about it on the podcast is because up until a specific instance three quarters of the way into the book i didn't know this book was about vampires <laughs> it's true yeah there's no indication there's no there's subtle hints but they're, that's about they're, it. they're tiny little nods that could or could not be about vampires yeah which is amazing and so it wasn't until like three quarters of the way through the book when they made a comment about something that i went oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> now, you know, we have trashed vampires uh -huh. as as a genre. A lot. Uh because it's <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. There's so many books about vampires. I still stand by I am very tired of vampires. Yeah. Yeah. That said, mm -hmm. I have a few books that I have read that are vampire books that are really good. And yes. the reason they stand out to me is because they usually take the vampire mythos and they take it somewhere different because we've all seen the same three types of vampire stories, high goth, you know, 
rigid shadow society kind of underworld and uh, vampire the masquerade type stuff. So like the sexy uh, vampires, like I'll... sexy vampires and like, rice vampires. Yeah, like blade, blood sprinkler, rave kind of <laughs> vampires. You know what I mean? Right. We've seen those. We don't see those as much these days. But it's true. Throughout the early oddies, we saw the hell out of those. Late nineties, um, early two thousands, Queen of the Damned, yeah. Stuart Townsend, shirtless in a jacket. Then <laughs> where we're at now is vampires are. Vampire stories are typically very, like, action horror focused, and it's, like, you you get, like, one of two. You get, like, vampires are basically zombies and, like, mindless primal killer things, and right. it's, like, there's a swarm of vampires and, like, ah. Uh, or you get, like, ancient vampires, like, they act very, like, Romanian and, like, eastern european kind of like very el even almost eldritch kind of like i'm ancient and yeah. i'm spreading vampires into society set in some sort of time period and that's like the two vampire stories we get now yeah <laughs> that's know? valid there are exceptions there's redneck which kind of falls into the latter sometimes but exists kind of in its own sort of space one of my favorites is uh dark red which had, like, this lone vampire just kind of trying to live his own life in, like, rural America, and then he gets swept into... And it falls more into the, like, sexy vampire kind of <laughs> style. Uh, but it makes a lot of points about, like, meta points about the vampire genre as a whole, as well as some, like, political statements, and it's it's done really well. The reason this one stands out to me is because vampire stories tend to always be told... In, like, one of two tones. They're either very aggressive and, like, angry and, like, power fantasy -y, right? Or they're kind of, like, comedic. You know what I mean? It's, like, mm -hmm. funny and it's, like, a dark comedy kind of thing. Right. And that's, like, the two vampire stories that we really get. And then you have this one, which is just lonely. Yeah. It, it paints the vampires less as these, like aggro-aggressive things or these, like, manipulative underground things or these, like, zombie-type things or, you know, these things that we can build a dark comedy, like, what we do in the shadows kind of thing off of. And it just makes them kind of lonely. It's very sad. It's it's bleak and it's dark and, you know, you see these kids at the end of the world just trying to, like, figure out what to do day by day. And they're eating rats and they're, you know, just doing the same games over and over. And they're just kids. So they don't have these, like, grand schemes of what to do. There's one that just kind of wants to play his guitar and write songs. And there's one that, you know, wants to just write stories. And there's one, one that just wants to draw with crayons on the wall and stuff. And that's all they want out of life. But when they have hundreds to thousands of years to do it, you know... It, it really does kind of, I think one of the things that stands out the most for me about this is that a lot of the time when you associate vampires, you associate like really loud circumstances. Either you've got like these screaming hordes of vampires or yeah. you've got like the, the, you know, underground blade rave or you have like loud orchestral music because there's like the deep ominous guy. And this book just feels so 
quiet. Yeah. There's yeah. so the being set in a like dilapidated falling apart city where there's no movement and no yeah. motion and nothing there. It's just it, you could almost hear a pin drop in the book. Yeah. Vampires are very rarely in stories where they're isolated. Yeah. You know, it's like either hey, the vampires have come onto the scene and now it's like a world-ending type scenario. Right. Or the vampires are already on the scene and controlling the world from the background. Yeah. Or like the vampires come on the scene and at least our main character's world, that's all it is now is vampires. Yeah. It's always this like destructive force. We always see vampire stories where they're being told of like, you know, vampires are here now and they're going to destroy things. They're going to tear down whatever's around them. And whatever that focus might be, whether it's the main character's life because they discovered the secret society of vampires or it's like, oh, they're infecting people and now everyone's turning into a vampire. Um, with the exception of there's like a small subset of, you know, we're focusing on the vampires and those stories tend to all be now the vampires have been discovered and they're getting destroyed. So like Redneck is very much that right. way. And but rarely do we ever just see like. Here's an isolated story. It's vampires in isolation. Yeah. It's just vampires living. Yeah. It's just vampires with none of that other crap in the world. Very rarely do you get a scenario where you don't see vampires in relation to humanity. Mm -hmm. These is literally just vampires in relation to themselves. And that doesn't yep. typically happen because typically the conflict is, you know, vampires are a threat to humanity. And that's why they're depicted that way. But this is just vampirism is just... It is what it is. It's mm. just like a thing that you have that you are. It doesn't it, it doesn't inherently build conflict. It just is a feature of these kids. Yeah. And it's, you know, that's what I like about this is that it's it's injecting into vampires as a mythos. Uh, certain themes that we don't often get. Yeah. You know, we don't really often get like themes of discovery in vampire stories we don't often get themes of coming of age yeah. in a vampire story you know one of the in my opinion one of the best examples of like a more isolated vampire story is lost boys mm -hmm. but even lost boys when you really think about it still falls into that category of like vampires are here now everything's getting destroyed yeah, you look know at all this chaos even though it's limited to like the main character's lives it's like it's not just like, oh, the vampires are here and they're like, hey, man, you want to go get some brewskis? And they're just hanging out and living. And so we get all these themes of like slice of life and, you know, coming of age and loneliness mm -hmm. and uh, being stuck in a rut and like boredom. Yeah. And hope even mm -hmm. because there's a few characters that want more and they want to go experience more and discovery and we don't get those in vampire stories yeah and vampire stories are all destruction and fight and rage and you know like it's always that same thing and that's why i'm so tired of it yeah because it's like it's a lot of same literally every vampire story that comes out for the most part is just like hey it's another way of handling zombies or hey look at this old nosferatu-esque vampire that's turning other people into vampires yeah you know and then there's some exceptions like another exception to mention is one we talked about recently out yes cool vampire book yeah not strictly vampire like no. not restricted to its vampire thing and that's what makes it so interesting 
And that's what makes it interesting. So you still can, even these genres that we mentioned that we're like, oh, these are getting beat to the ground. You can do Audible them well. eye roll. You know? <laughs> I have yet to see a super interesting zombie book, but I'm sure it's possible to do that one well. But this one really knocks it out of the park. Yeah. And I, I think without Jeff Lemire's, he's always had this innate ability to really like, push very subtle mental health issues onto the page yeah. you know yeah and then you mix that with dustin wins just beautiful kind of minimalist use of color and it just creates this lonely like drab it's just so desolate sense of ennui that is just it's so cool it's, it's a cool book very good it's a very very cool book i highly recommend this is, it's beautiful and it's it's just refreshing it's like yes i mean <laughs> Give me more of these overdone things that are actually, like, interesting. Yeah. You know, give me more takes on things that are interesting. All right, Jeff, it's time for you to write end of the world techno existence. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff Lemire, please write a zombie book. Post-apocalyptic. Or, yeah, like a post-apocalyptic <laughs> somewhere between, like, cyberpunk and, like, Firefly. wasteland punk, you know? <laughs> Uh, cause that's like the next thing that's getting beaten into the ground. Um, or like, uh, Hey, what if superheroes were, you know, yeah, like give me yeah. one of those. <laughs> <laughs> we're just, we just need to send Lemire like all of these things that are being, if you're overdone. listening to this episode and you're writing any one of those types of things, I'm sorry, but <laughs> kind of judging you because there's a lot of them. Right Prove now. us wrong. Prove, Prove us, wrong. us wrong. Make one of the different ones. Yeah. Do it. I and dare then, you. And then you get praised. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and then you get little monstered. Congrats. Sure. That's going to do it for us. Yes. Uh, pretty light week this week. Uh, but get out there and get those books. Uh, if you want more episodes of Cover B, you can find them on CoverBpodcast.com. That's right. You can also find us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Cover B Podcast. Thanks again for listening. I hope everybody has a good weekend. Uh, if you're in one of the states that's getting covered by ice and rain this weekend, be safe. Uh, be smart. Be healthy. Be friendly. Be kind to one another. And as always, I have been Chris. This has been T. You know it. And you have been listening to Cover, Cover B. B. Bye, everybody.